Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Televerse. This is Kate Kulsing, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And, uh, Noel, we have some good news and quite a bit, uh, and some bad news and some so quite a bit of sad news this week. And the top of our show uh, for our TV news here. Let's start with the, let's start with the good news. Amber Ruffin Show has been renewed for another, like, six months or so over at Peacock. We're very excited about this. It is very exciting. I'm I'm hoping that some of this is motivated by a the really good press that she's gotten recently. There's a very good write up in Vulture, and also that maybe she did really well when she popped on to the like the broadcast mm-hmm. actual broadcast. Maybe that maybe that did, went okay. We'll see. Fingers crossed. I would like to. I would like that to be the case. That'd be very exciting. Yeah. Um. The the less exciting news, though, not. All that's surprising to me, I'm curious how you feel about this, is that Mom has been canceled or is ending at the end of, is it this season? Yeah. Um, Is this a surprise? No. In no small part because I have to imagine that the show is about to get very, very expensive. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of just signing everyone back and getting Alice and Janney back in particular was probably just going to be real difficult. Uh, so I am not surprised because this would have been, this would have then been going into like season eight, I want to say. Um, so I just, I don't think that they were going to get anything past that. Um, so without doing like a heavy renewal in terms of the cast. So I think that this is not surprising. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know, whenever it gets to a point where you have to renegotiate contracts, everything becomes much, much more expensive. So, yeah, yeah. it's it's not all that surprising. Um, our our sad news, our somber news, was the passing this past week of George Siegel. And, uh, I mean, today as we record, Jessica Walter. Um, Siegel was 87. Walter was 80. Both, I mean, I think for a TV role, Siegel's probably best known to people from Just Shoot Me, at least of our generation. Yes, and I was about to say, for people our age. Our age, yes. yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, Jessica Walter from everything. But, you know, Arrested Development and Archer are going to be the two most recent things that, that people are going to be most familiar with her for, probably. Uh, but she's just been around and amazing for a very, very long time. Um, so certainly that was, uh, those, that was, <laughs> hers especially was a surprise to me. I came out of the blue and... Um, yeah, I certainly will look forward to celebrating uh, a lot of her work uh, when I have the bandwidth for it. Yeah, um, both of these are like big losses. Like I wasn't watching the Goldbergs at all, but um, Siegel's a really talented comedic actor. Um, even if Just Shoot Me was kind of not great in height, yeah, height, I watched a lot of it when I was when it was on and when I was younger. Um, but he was always really good at it. And Siegel is also has like some really great film turns. Um, and Jessica Walter was just in everything. Like we're talking about Arrested Development and Archer, but she was the voice of Fran, the dinosaur and the dinosaurs mm-hmm. to come from back when we were kids. Um, and then she was just in like a guest star in literally every single show in the 1970s and the 1980s. And so there's plenty of good stuff um, on the TV front that you can watch her in. She was in 
she was in like Mission Impossible. She was in Columbo. Uh, she did Hawaii Five O. She did Quin- Quincy. Like she was just everywhere, basically. So, uh, yeah. So you owe it to yourself to go and watch anything that she's in. Um, anytime you get a chance. I mean, she got to play Granny Goodness in the Harley Quinn animated special in the yeah. animated series. Like that's just perfect casting. Yeah. Fantastic casting. So certainly, yeah. I I do not envy whoever steps into that role next vocally. I assume mm-hmm. that's what they, they'll recast, but um, Yeah. If yeah. they ever go back to Apocalypse, sure. Yeah. But we will we will see. Um this week at the end of the show, we're talking about season one of Babylon Berlin, which is a German uh neo noir set between the world wars set before the Weimar. Um, so the first season is set in 1929 mm-hmm. and uh, the, there are currently three seasons that it's been renewed. I think, I think for at least a fourth. Yes. Um, so there's more coming, but that is the show that we've been meaning to catch up with for quite a while. We finally caught up with season one here. Um, so we'll be talking about that at the end of the show. Also, I just, I wanted to mention often we do talk about pub, uh, like news events here at the podcast and we have not talked about the shootings in Atlanta and we have not talked about the shootings in Boulder. Um, but they are very much, I, I, I feel like I can speak for both of us, Noel, but they're certainly very much on my mind and our minds and our thoughts are very much with everyone that is dealing with the, I mean, certainly with Atlanta, the increasing wave of anti, uh, Asian American, uh, hatred and bigotry and and hate crimes that have been escalating throughout the country for a long time um and uh and any you know the victims of gun violence that continues to be such a widespread problem in this country it didn't go away last year it just didn't get covered last year um and so those have been very stark um and very difficult painful aspects of the past couple weeks we haven't mentioned them. I wanted to acknowledge them and know that they are very much in our thoughts and the the families and the survivors are very much in our thoughts. Um, so with that being said, we're going to do our best to come back with like channel Amber Ruffin and come back with something very silly. By talking about Queen Sugar at the top of the show. By talking about Queen Sugar <laughs> at the top of our week in TV. Uh, yeah. Yep. We'll take a break, listen to a little music, and we'll be right back after this. Thank you. 
This week in TV, we're going to kick things off with Queen Sugar, May 27, 2020. Uh, then The Unicorn had its season finale, Out With The Old and Put Your Mask On First. I'll talk a little bit about the Drag Race UK season finale, season two finale, grand finale. And then we have Pop Goes the Queens, which is the branding challenge over on RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier premiered on Disney Plus with New World Order. Superman and Lois is going on hiatus until May. They had the best of Smallville. Then we have The Flash, Central City Strong, and we'll round things out with Batwoman survived much worse. So first up is Queen Sugar. And uh, I unfortunately was not able to catch this week's episode in time. Uh, I am very much looking forward to it and also very much not looking forward to it um, Mm -hmm. because of the date, the timestamp and what it will inevitably be about. But I am also, uh, I'm sure it is going to be really powerful and really well done when I see it. Um, Noel, should I adjust those expectations or, you know, is Queen Sugar going to, Queen Sugar going to Queen Sugar? Queen Sugar is going to Queen Sugar. Uh, this episode deals explicitly with, uh, George Floyd's death. Um, this is the day. Um, and it is Queen Sugar at its, arguably its most didactic. Um, but I don't say this in a derogatory way. It's very explicitly, especially with the Nova segments, as I think you and I both expected. Um, deals very head-on with Calvin's relationship with the police force, but also uses Calvin as a way to talk about whiteness within the system and within society as well as within this particular instance of things. So that process, again, comes off as a little... I don't like the word preachy, but it's the kind of tone that it strikes. But again, this is not a bad thing to be preachy about in any way, shape, or form. And so I think that the episode as a whole generally works well. It explores, albeit very briefly, um, fissures over responses between Charlie and Micah, as you would expect. Um, that I imagine will be a continual, continual, sto- a continuous storyline going forward as they enter the summer, and Micah's uh, general sort of more uh, activist approach, as opposed to Charlie's more work within the system kind of approach. Um, but the part that will demolish you will be. Darla and Ralph Angel having a conversation with uh, Blue about what all of this means. Having to talk. That is how they close the episode. That is the thing that is going to destroy you. Yeah. Um, because it is very good. It is the best that the actor who plays Blue has been. Like, he's very, very good in that scene. Um, but everyone's very, very good in that scene. And it bounces out everything else in the episode really, really well because of how much emotional heft it carries with it. Um, so that works really, really well. Uh, the Hollywood and Vi story beats in this episode, they're definitely there for a purpose, but they resonate the least in terms of what I'm particularly interested in. But I do think that they still speak to something very specific within a response to the Floyd murder. So I think that there's still value in it um, as perspective, particularly from Hollywood, who is the one driving that particular storyline. And... So I think that there's a good perspective being represented there, even if it's one that we come on, I think we're meant to be on Vi's side in that plot line. The overarching narrative, I think, is still really strong. So I think it's a very good episode still. Um, and but that blue scene's gonna that blue scene's gonna destroy you. Just gonna let you know. Just letting you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Okay, well, I'm glad to know that. Yeah. I'm not surprised. And that's, again, what I would anticipate um, from from the show. And I'm glad to hear that the, I mean, because that's, it's got to be such a challenging scene for any actor to take on, let alone a, a child actor. Um, so he, we've, been, we've been watching him grow and improve over the years um, through his time on the show. So uh, I'm I'm glad to hear that, you know, he's continuing to, to grow into an increasingly nuanced role. Um, on the, you know, as an actor. Uh, so yeah, I look forward, look forward <laughs> to, to watching this one when I have some time. Um, what about the unicorn? I did not realize it was the season finale where I might have, uh, fit in these two episodes a little quicker this week. Yeah. I didn't realize this was the season finale either until I saw that you had said mom was canceled slash ending. And I looked up stuff about it and saw that the unicorn had already wrapped up its season on like a rundown of what's been renewed and canceled and when the finales air for CBS. So yes, Unicorn all done this season, 13 episodes. They only did 18 last year, um, but they only so 13 this year. So it's five fewer, which kind of explains for me why we spent so much time on Shannon. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because I was like, I had mentioned earlier, why are we doing this? There's so much time to spend on Shannon. And it was, in fact, it was just half the season or a little bit more, but you know, mm-hmm when you've only got 13 episodes, then it kind of makes sense almost to do that. So Out With The Old and Put Your Mask On First are both kind of fine episodes. Out With The Old deals with um, every all the guys deciding to get colonoscopies together. Um, and as someone who has had an endoscopy, I related real hard to that plot line of, this is a miserable experience. Why are we trying to do male bonding while we're all having to have diarrhea in an effort to clean out our bowels before we go and get this done. Um, <laughs> so I related real hard to that, um, especially when they did it at Wade's house and there were three of them, but only two bathrooms. Didn't really think that part <laughs> oh, through. Didn't oh, think that, that part through. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, put your mask on first is very much a reset episode for the show. Um, and resets the show to sort of where it was mid-season one. Uh, Wade gets over Shannon, uh, thanks to an errant text message. Um, He has an encounter with Caroline, Betsy Brandt's character, and he has another encounter with Lena, Brittany Ishibashi's character, um, the bartender from season one, that he never called. Uh, She returns in this episode. Um, And it basically just reestablishes that Wade is catnip to all the ladies. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, And then there's also a conclusion to the Rob Riggle storyline that zigs a little bit um, on you, which is interesting. Um, But as a finale, it's fine. Um, But it does feel like the show kind of resetting like like i said at the top of for this of like all right we did this little sojourn with wade trying to figure out how he felt about himself and relationships going forward um and now we're gonna kind of reset him to yeah let's let's have wade be wade for a little bit more now that he was in a relationship with shannon so i'm curious provided they get a third season because they have not been renewed yet uh what that third season is going to be shaped like um going forward okay yeah we'll have to see i like the first i mean this 
This is not a COVID thing. This is a COVID thing, right? I have to assume it's a COVID thing. Um, but also, they, like I said, they only did 18 episodes last season. So it could have been a cost of the cast thing as well to like, instead of doing 22, because I have to imagine this is a pretty expensive cast. Um, mm-hmm. Even if they don't use a lot of sets. <laughs> but those sets are very <laughs> large that they do use. So... Okay. But, yeah, yeah. No. Um. Sorry. I meant put your mask on first. Oh no. There's there's no COVID or any anything along those lines acknowledged in that episode. There's no acknowledgement. Of- I just assumed with that title, I was like, oh, now we're getting to COVID. No. 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 But they acknowledge that Joe Joe Biden is president in that episode, which just boggles my brain a little bit. Um. Yeah. When they're just like, yeah, Joe Biden's president. There's no pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Huh, that's, it's interesting. It's interesting. Well, I will catch up with it. Um, it, it I find it interesting we have such a different relationship with this show here at the end of yes. season two than we did at the right? end of season one. Um, yeah, we were so much more yeah. hopeful. But, you know, I've still enjoyed it. I've still enjoyed the it's time. It's still funny, um, but it, yeah. Yeah, but it's just, you know, we were hoping it would make a leap and not yet. Oh, well. Um, Let's move on to our next show, which is Drag Race UK, which had its grand finale. And again, in case people are behind um, watching it uh, or have not had the chance to watch it yet, I will just I will not spoil anything. I'll just say uh, I thought the finale episode was entertaining. I think it's been a really strong season. Uh, The person who won was not who I expected to win, but I'm happy with it. So I'm good with it. Uh, I know that there are lots of different thoughts online <laughs> about that some people are super pro some people are super con but um i look forward to whatever future season they do of um either uh all-stars or like either uk all-stars or international all-stars whenever they get there uh, so and seeing some of these queens come back because it was a really strong cast and not at all the elimination order I would have anticipated early in the season. So it was a very like, but, but like, but well done overall, like, like the people who were in the final four did a really good job. So it's not like you're, you watch Queens get eliminated and then other Queens who didn't, it didn't feel like they had earned their spot close to the end. Um, which is the best of both worlds. Cause you get an exciting twisty kind of season, but, uh, so you get surprised, but it also feels like it doesn't feel, um, unearned by the end. So it was an interesting journey and I certainly had fun. Um, over at the US version, we have Pop Goes the Queens with the branding challenge. Uh, I have some thoughts. Yeah. Noel, do you have thoughts? I do have thoughts. Um, before we get to the branding challenge, however, and the runway mm-hmm. and the lip sync and the elimination, I want to talk about how disappointed I was by the <laughs> mini challenge. That did not involve the queens squaring off against the pit crew in any sort of test of trivia, despite the title of the of the challenge, which is "Are you smarter than the pit crew?" The pit crew were not competing <laughs> in this challenge, <laughs> um, and I was very disappointed by that because I was very excited to watch the pit crew be smarter than the queens. Well, okay, Bryce on the pit crew, who is the redhead. He's an aerospace engineer. What? You're lying. He's got a degree. He's got a degree in aerospace engineering. Oh man, see. Yeah, he's a Bruin. This yeah. is this is 
this is not okay. I was very much looking forward to this, and it's just <laughs> drag race trivia. So, okay. Oh, see, but I en- I enjoy the drag race trivia. So I had fun with this. But yeah, it's not actually trivia. No. <laughs> it's mostly watch Olivia, like, ogle the pit crew, and we're like, oh, there's questions. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, which is funny. Yeah. So that was that I so that's how I feel about that. But yes, let's get to the branding challenge. Um because yeah, that I guess that was a thing of television I watched. Um in some instances. Um I don't know what Yuka was doing. I don't know what Got Mick was doing. Um I really don't understand what Candy was doing, but we're going to sidebar Candy for just a minute because Candy's whole thing in this episode, I have questions about. Um, but yeah, it was it was compelling to watch the show kind of go, oh, right, our, our one of our frontrunners doesn't know what to do here and we don't know how to edit this. Okay, well, we're just going to kind of make it look like a mess, but... Nick's strong enough that it'll be fine. And it was. Um, <laughs> but it was also really good to watch ceilings, basically. People who hit up against ceilings, particularly like Olivia and Tina, were just hitting up against the ceiling here. Of what their drag does, but also what their persona and brand can do um, in this competition. So I think that the branding challenge really exposed that. Um, but overall, like it was really clear that Rosé and Simone were going to win the branding challenge, even before we saw the actual clips. Um, mm-hmm. But once we saw the actual ads, it was like, oh, yeah, oh, dear. No one else is going to win this. And I was very pleased um, that they both won in terms of yeah overall episode. I was very, very pleased about that, because if ever there was a double win deserved, it was for A the commercials but be their respective runaway looks as well um Mm -hmm. so how did you feel about the branding challenge i uh it was interesting because it was just such a clear there are two people who did this correctly and there are a couple people who are fine and tina i thought was fine Mm -hmm. and then there are a bunch of people who are not good at this and so uh i thought for me simone won this uh, and Rosé did really well. She was a clear, strong number two. And then number three was way yes. down there. Um, and I guess I preferred Rosé's runway, though I also really like Simone's runway. Uh, so I guess, like, if you balance those two, maybe that, you know. I, but for me, and I put this in my recap over at AV Club, it, that felt more like a double win, not because they were equal, but more because, like, we can't have Simone get four wins and Rosé has, like, one and other people got Mick has two, you know, like we, we needed to stay competitive. So having Rue dub like Simone, you won, but Rose, you also won. You're just as good as Simone. Ha ha ha. We have a, we have a, you know, a leg rate. We have a, a, you know, an actual competition here, guys. Simone isn't just running away with this. Um, feels uh, very striking. So that's sort of where I was sure. at with it. But I agree that those two, just they done good (laughs) they did they they did a good job their commercials were entertaining and on brand and checked all the boxes um i thought that utica's was not good i thought that uh olivia's was not good i thought that got mick like i could see what mick was going for because 
Mick was basically going for the same thing that Rosé was going for. Just it was more muddled. Yeah, sure. And it didn't come through. Like, where, whereas Rosé, like, contrasted, like, you'll be perfect like me. And then, like, underscored that with, like, it doesn't actually work, guys. Like, it's not how it was at the end of, of the ad. Uh, Mick, the structure, I think, didn't help. And it didn't help that he, he like, in the planning, he did not. He had an idea, but he could not explain what he actually mm-hmm. meant. And that lack of clarity of vision meant that he couldn't ex- he couldn't explain to himself, let alone to the other people, you know, the, the Ross and, and Carson helping out with that. So therefore they couldn't help, you know, bring it all together either. And so it just ended up kind of garbled. Um, he was, you know, like Mick was very gay. Yes. You know, so like she's like looking fabulous and like like spilling the drink all over, like went for it and there's a good sense of humor and good uh self-awareness and all of that but it just didn't click so for me with that fantastic runway that's a safe uh i would have had olivia in the bottom uh even though i did also like olivia's runway um and i would have had tina in the middle yeah sure because tina's commercial wasn't great and definitely definitely missed the branding like like you you keep saying hell yes Instead of saying, I'm burning up, right? Like, which the name of the drink was burning up. So then you should keep saying, I'm burning up to brand, you know, like there are some really, as a as an armchair drag race player, right? It's easy to, to you know, money money quarterback and just be like, obviously you should have done this, 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 and that, you know. Uh, but uh, there were some, some pretty big missteps. And for me, I thought that uh, Tina won the lip sync, personally. But I know other people feel like Utica slayed it and definitely was better. So, you know, your model may vary there. Uh, but mostly it just felt frustrating to me because they were just, yeah, it's not that Tina did the worst. It's that we're tired yeah. of Tina. So we don't really have the editing. Like, we don't have the material to sell this in the edit. So we're just not going to try that hard. We're just going to send yeah. it home. <laughs> um, and that, you know, it's not that they're wrong. Because I don't think that Tina was gonna win. Tina was not gonna break through. Um, and when you know on um, what you packing, which is like the uh, interview thing that Michelle Visage does, Michelle Visage does with the Eliminated Queen each week on YouTube. Um, this season, because it's COVID uh, and it's remote, they've been having the queens just bring their finale okay. look. And Tina's finale look, I was like, oh my god, it's red, yellow, and orange. Ah. Thank goodness. You got eliminated because you were not going to win in that. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so yeah, it's, I don't think they were wrong, but that just makes me want to fast forward to the part where we all just say who the final four are and do the actual competition, because then it just feels like it's very arbitrary until then. Um, I will say that the next episode is more interesting to mm-hmm. me. The next episode is the roast. Oh, right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll talk about it next okay. week. But, uh, but yeah, there's, uh, there, and there's some really strong performances and some not strong performances, which is mostly what you want. That is what you want in Rose. So, um, yeah, no, I agree with you regarding everything that you said regarding Tina. The commercial is fine, but it's just boring. There's, mm-hmm. it's exactly what you'd expect it to be, which I think is exactly what hurts Tina is sort of what we've talked about before is Tina's style and approach and everything is so well formed in what tina does that there's no room for experimentation or anything so while utica's 
definitely got one of the worst ads. It's at least weird and has that display of creativity mm-hmm. to it that provides a degree of interest, even if her runway look is by far and away the dullest runway look that Utica has put together. I thought she looked great. She but, looks great, however. But she always looks great. So mm-hmm. she looks really good, but it's like, is that all you have? Like, Utica, mm-hmm. you were... I wanted more. Yeah, you wanted more from this. So I think that it was just kind of as a little bit of a surprise. But I also think that I don't disagree with you. I really did think Tina kind of won that lip sync. But Utica's energy picked up in the back half, at least based on the editing, mm-hmm. enough so that I think maybe it edged out, plus the whole, yeah, you're not going to do anything else, Tina. Bye. Um, I think is what happened there. Um, but I do want to talk about Candy yeah. because, Kate, when we get to the end of the year and we get to her, really, it's going to be Candy Muse because I don't get it. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Her ad was like nothing. It was literally nothing. The ad did not work for me at all. And her beast look was, was not, not a beast, beast look. look. It was nothing. I'm so confused. No. By the judges being like, oh yeah, no, it's kind of it's kind of neat. And I just went, no, it's not. It's not kind of neat. Tina's is kind of neat. This yeah. is not kind yeah. of neat, everyone. And I don't get it. I just don't get it. Well, and Michelle reading Tina's makeup, but not Candy's. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Candy's at least was more of a choice, but still, yeah. The like there was. I did not think it was good. I I didn't think it was worse than some of the others. The ad, but um, it like there was no there there. It was not good, and uh, she's still on because they need someone for the workers, yes. and they need someone for Untucked, and she's very good at that. And if she wasn't there, they would have a lot of trouble. Is sort of how I feel about it. And I think that I'm actually, I've been enjoying the time with Candy more in the last couple episodes because of the conversations that we've been getting around, like in this episode around bullying yes. and like the fact that he's still got this massive scar from uh, having his arm broken in like seventh grade or something. Uh, and like in the that trauma and talking about the lengthy process of feeling safe to not lash out um, at criticism because not seeing that as an attack and what that how that has been a real struggle for him and a journey um, has, has been, I think, a, a good source of material um, and discussion in the mm-hmm. workroom. Uh, but <laughs> you've got to do a better job justifying it <laughs> on the runway and the judges were trying this week. And I mean... Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't get it. And I agree with everything that you said that everything in the workroom that Candy is driving is solid TV gold. Like it's very, very mm-hmm. good. It's just every, the challenges for the past couple of weeks and the runways for the past couple of weeks have not, especially solo challenges have not been particularly mm-hmm. great. Um, and I've just been kerflent and confused and I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, so it's a little frustrating for me. Um, but here we are. Um, la- one last thing I will say before moving on is Got Mixed look is just so clearly modeled after Kill la Kill, which is an anime, <laughs> that it drove uh-huh. me mad that A, Mick didn't mention it, and B, none of the judges knew either. And I'm just like, but it's very clearly Kill la Kill, everyone. It's very clearly Kill la Kill. Nothing. Okay. Fine. I'm just gonna leave now. But it's, everyone, listeners, it's Kill la Kill. It's it's a kill a kill as drag look and kill a kills very drag anyway. 
Um, so that's very exciting. Yeah. Um, our next show here is The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which premiered on Disney Plus this week with New World Order. And this, uh, I thought there was some good stuff here. It was fine. It was solid. You know, it's like the stuff that this is all the stuff that we were less interested in with WandaVision and little of the stuff that we were very interested in with WandaVision. So I don't go into this one expecting anything um, because I don't think it's the kind of show that's going to be for me so much. It's just going to be kind of fun in an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.y kind of way. Um, And with that expectation, I was pleased at the amount of care given with Sam's family and his background. I like that they're continuing with these two shows to explore the blip and what it means to have, you know, five, you know, like billions of people just reappear and what, you know, what is the, what the ramifications of that are on a granular level of you can't get a bank loan because you don't have a method of employment for the last five years because you didn't exist for the last five years. So how is that possibly something that can be held against you? But it absolutely would get held against you, you know? So I, I like that there, you know, that there's some ideas there that they're playing with. And, um, you know, I think some of, I think, I think the performances are pretty strong from these leads. Um, I just hope that we get a little more interesting detail um, with how they, how how it how it comes together the storytelling comes together I guess and I'm hoping for more I I'm not excited about um, our nondescript baddies the flag I'm not bearers excited about flag smashers the, yeah, flag the, smashers flag smashers because we shouldn't have any borders and like it's just like I also am not excited about Sam just killing people left and right and we're not supposed to care I guess that he's like throwing people into rocks and mountainsides and everything. Um, that felt really totally off to me. Um, but I'm not all that surprised. I'm I'm disappointed, but I'm not that disappointed because I don't have that high of, uh, expectations for Marvel to, you know, to have more reflection on what this messaging is and how it's super messed up. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this stuff? So a couple of things. Um, one, I agree that the fleshing out that they're doing of the blip, and this takes place a few months after everyone's come back, I think is really interesting. I'm really kind of, I'm finding it really compelling as a concept. And I like that they're using their, at least two of the shows so far. And I imagine this will all play into some of the other non-Loki shows. Um, I imagine it's probably going to play a big role in the Hawkeye series, um, for sure, just given Hawkeye's whole deal. Um, That there's this space in the television shows to deal with this very big thing that happened within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but that clearly they can't actually deal with it in the movies because the movies all have bigger things to do. Um, So I like that aspect of it. I don't buy that Sam is broke. I don't like Sam is a one man mercenary gang doing off the books work for the U S government. The dude is getting paid. Um, so I have questions about his financial status as a mercenary for the U S army <laughs> or U S air force or whichever branch he's working for currently here. Um, because like you said, he's doing covert ops that are involved killing a bunch of folks 
He's getting paid for that. <laughs> he only does that for free for America. Yeah. No, he should be getting yeah. paid. Um, yeah. So I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting things going on, I think, with Sam and everything with his family. And I like all the stuff with his family. The stuff with like his the loan and everything is still really bizarre to me because he still probably qualify for like VA VA loans and this kind of a thing, depending on like the government structure and how everything's changed in five years. And we don't know that, but it's a little weird that that isn't an option as well. So I think that there's just a lot of like weird, small niggling plot holes for that for me that they just kind of glaze over because they want to make this larger point. And the larger point I think is worth making. It's just also my brain is like, but, but the, the little details are just kind of, I can just keep pulling at this thread and it'll just all unravel. Um, so I'm just like, don't do it. Focus on the fact that this is going to be more of a shield, like you say, more of a shield-esque show that just really focus, hones in on these two characters and my beloved, beloved, ill-served Zemo, who I'm hoping comes back soon, um, hopefully this week. Mm. I'm, I'm just so excited. I, I love Zemo so much. I know no one else does, and it's okay. Um, do we also real quick need to talk about how the new Captain America in real life is the son of the father of Peter Quill? <laughs> Details? Does. No, we don't need to talk about that? Okay, he cool. Does. Great. Get yeah. Goldie Hawn at the MCU, you cowards. <laughs> um, I enjoy how immediately we hate him. Well played. Oh, God, it's so good. He just looks like such a doofus. <laughs> punch his face just you need to punch his face definitely um so it'll be fun to see what white russell does that tee up is also real good for that doofus face of america also needs a hero and here he is and it's just like oh Mm -hmm. god i don't i don't know who this government official is but i hate him a lot (laughs) (laughs) indeed uh any final thoughts on this one are you going to be looking forward to this every week or just sort of like keeping up I'm going to, right now, based on that premiere, I'm going to be keeping up with it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not super duper, like, gung-ho, because it's not, like, tickling me in the same way that uh, Division was. Um, but we'll see going forward. But, I mean, they're basically going to have the same amount of runtime all told. Uh, so, oh, I'm kind of like, all right, let's do this. But I'm not as excited. So, mm-hmm. we didn't even talk about Bucky, but, you know. Yeah. I like I like old dad energy for him. It's very good. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we'll see what happens next. Um, Superman and Lois had mm-hmm. its mid-season premiere. Um, and, or finale. mid-season finale, I should say. Yes. Uh, the Best of Smallville, which is centered around like a Harvest Fest thing and stuff happens. Uh, I like how centered Martha Kent is in this. Oh, good. Um, yeah. Despite, obviously, you know, in flashback. Right. Yeah. There's so, so there's some nice uh, reflections from Clark about growing up in Smallville. We get some overdue tensions with uh the with the with the boys um and some some good character stuff. So I thought this was a pretty strong episode. It's directed by Rachel Talaley. Uh, Talaley? Talaley? I'm going to say Talaley. I apologize oh. for getting your name wrong, I assume. Uh who's of course a really uh, a really talented and stylish director. Um, who I've been following closely since, uh, like, whenever her name pops up, uh, I'm very excited. Uh, since she first was started doing Doctor Who, that's, that's what introduced me to her work. Um, so, yeah, I was 
not surprised when her name came up in the credits. I was like, yep, that that tracks because I think it looks pretty good too. Um, there's some, there's a twist that I don't love, but I can see why they did around our our uh, our baddie. There's some interesting choices here, and I look forward to seeing how it all plays together. But um, like the we're ending on a cliffhanger. Uh, we're we're not really resolving. Like they, this is not necessarily what I would have anticipated as a midseason break that was necessitated by uh, a COVID outbreak on their filming that shut which shut down their filming. Um, but I think it works, and I think it's it's nice that they go out on such a strong episode. I thought it was a particularly strong episode for this season, um, one of their best episodes, if not their best. So I will look forward to your thoughts when you have a chance to see it. But uh, that's all I will say about that. And I'm kind of looking forward to Supergirl coming back next week. So. You're just excited about a train wreck. Uh. (laughs) We'll see. Uh, Let's go on to The Flash, Central City Strong. And what I was excited about with this is that we're actually going to talk about trauma at least a little bit. Just a little bit. At least a little with Iris. But just a little bit. Which is great. (laughs) It is. And also with Barry. (laughs) And also with Barry. I did. I was a little worried about that because I was like, oh, this, we need to be talking about Iris' trauma. Why are we talking about Barry's trauma? I don't want to talk about Barry's trauma anymore. <laughs> Barry always has trauma. I don't want to talk about it. I want to talk about Iris's <laughs> trauma. And then we talked a little bit about Iris's trauma at the end of the episode with her going to the Mirrorverse support group. And I was just like, yes, thank you. More of this, please. And let's do this some more. Like, just do a few more episodes about it. If you need help figuring out how to do meetings, just call the people who did elementary. Just call them, figure it out together. Do some workshopping because it's worthwhile. It's worth doing. And Candace Patton can definitely knock this kind of stuff out of the park. And she should be given this kind of material. Um, But that is, I think, like the key thing to focus on apart from the really bad. Like, I have not seen <laughs> bad, muscly villain type stuff that looked as rough as whatever the creature that was. that was since they did Adam Smasher in like season two. Um, cause that was also very bad and it has not improved a whole lot since then. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they use like the same wireframe for it. Um, anyway, doesn't matter. It didn't look good. And I, I'm still not interested in whatever, again, I have to assume it's like the strength force or the, the strong force mm-hmm. or whatever it is, um, that is somehow involved in this, but I am sad that they killed Abracadabra. Yeah. That not was because of the, surprising. you know, his little redemption arc or anything, which I thought was actually really well played. But just because... Except that he, like, just murdered somebody. Yes. Like, the day before, yeah. and they were all like, he died a hero. He, like, okay, say that to the family of the person that he just yes. killed with playing cards less than 24 hours ago. And for no real reason, just did it. For no reason. Yeah. Just because. Yeah. So, Ugh. but kudos to that actor and, like, their general sort of way of playing that I thought worked really, really well, despite the follow-up, like you said, of he died trying to save Barry. No. No, let's let's not do that. Let's not go that far. Let's just mm-hmm. acknowledge that he realized the error of his ways and probably would not have been a villain anymore, but then you just decided to kill him. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a shame because the Flash needs more like Chinery suing chewing bad, bad guys and they just killed one of theirs. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh any final thoughts or shall we use that to pivot over to Batwoman? Yeah. Or survived much worse. Yeah, where do you want to start with Batwoman? Because I know where I want to start. <laughs> well, okay. I want to start with 
all the the news. I want to start with the news. So Kate Kane has been recast. Yes, that's where I wanted to and, start too. <laughs> and they, so so like the fact that they were like ah ha ha ha. What we'll do is restructure the whole season around finding Kate Kane. It will let everybody think that we killed her off. And we'll, we're actually we decided to change our mind and bring back bring in the new Batwoman instead. We'll make a big splash with that and then we'll reveal that secretly we were going to recast her all along anyways. Like I don't know how this show works with a Kate Kane and a Ryan Wilder. I don't think it does. And I don't that just tells me that okay, so we're gonna recast her so that we can and then we're gonna send her off at the end of the season. But like not dead. Like is what that's what that tells me. And I can't it's it it boggles my mind. I'm a little excited about it because I just cause it's so bonkers. But um to completely recenter your show for eight episodes. To spend eight episodes establishing a new character who I actually like and with a talented performer and to find a new like to to mine this material uh for new dynamics in the cast and all of this stuff only then to be like aha our original lead character is still gonna be around and on the show to some extent for at least a few episodes it hurts my brain (laughs) um yeah i can't see how this will possibly work and be good but i am intrigued and yay doing something different i guess i don't know how do you feel I hate it. Um, <laughs> and I'll tell you why for a couple of reasons. First, this feels like a really aggressive, we didn't bury our gay. Mm-hmm. And we also didn't like do a substitute gay. Like, look, we didn't do this. But by not doing that, by recasting Kate and having Kate still be alive, you're kind of robbing Ryan of a lot of agency to tell her story about being Batwoman. Um, and it's deeply, deeply frustrating to watch that happen to a black woman character who yeah. is gay. Like, it's a terrible thing to do. Um, and it's really frustrating for that to be the decision that you made as opposed to just being, well, we'll just recast Kate and continue with what we were going to do originally. So I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. Um And then on another level, like, it's just, it's obvious, I think, to me anyway, that they're not going to have Kate resume the Batwoman mantle. Like, I don't think that they can do that without the show ending so that no one gets angry at them while the show is on. They'll get angry at them and it'll be one of those things that people discuss for years within, um, particularly within queer fandoms. But it will also be like a massive red mark against the entire program that they did this. This the entire thing that they're doing right now is a sizable red mark against them. Um, but it just makes me really nervous, and I'm not excited about it. I'm not interested in it, and it's deeply, deeply frustrating um, to watch them almost overcorrect uh, their initial decision to do what they decided to do here um, by having Kate be killed. Um, And I get the decision to have Kate be killed because 
there wasn't a there wasn't a good way to justify Kate just leaves Gotham to go look for Bruce yeah. by the end of that season. Like literally the only way to get Kate out of Gotham was to have Kate die. Um so I think that it's just a weird balancing act that they have just totally fallen off the wire on now with this decision. So it makes me really frustrated. It makes me really nervous and I'm not interested in too much more of what they're going to do forward. If they weren't doing black mask and I, if I wasn't really interested in what they're going to do with black mask, I'd probably bail at this point. Um, in part, just because while I really like Ryan, I really like the character and I really like the dynamics that are being created as a result of Ryan's insertion into the ensemble, including just, how is it that everything that they do makes Mary better? I don't understand this. <laughs> every every yeah. choice that they've made this season has made Mary better. Um, and, but the general arc of the season has just been really frustrating for me. And the whole, not the League of Assassins, not the mascara thing with Sophia has been just a, I don't, can you explain it to me? Can, does it make any no. sense? I could, but it doesn't, like, it's not working. Exactly! Uh, yeah, it's really dumb. <laughs> so, like, wh- why does, like, well, we like this actor, they're really good, so we're gonna give her a secret backstory, a la Oliver Queen. <laughs> doesn't make any sense for Alice, no, and... It's not even good! Just, no, it's not. Um, but you know what is good, though? What I really liked about this, um, is, it, I, I liked a couple things. I like the continuing... Um, uh, not negation, but just uh, the the show continued to back away from the crows. Yes, and give a like, just be like, eh, we're just gonna like Dugger Scott's great, Dugger Scott's great, and all, but like, no, we're just not gonna do this. Uh, this is more interesting with the crows as antagonists than it is otherwise, which is yes. true. Um, and uh, so that was good, but also I loved everything with the with the plant. And the fact that it actually comes, like, 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 I was given one thing. She said, just don't kill my plant. I, I gotta get the plant. And she was immediately watering it, like, immediately. And it's just like, Mary, this is not how plants work. <laughs> it was great, though. And having that, like, come full circle at the end with the blood from the person, like, like I was like, okay, it doesn't make any sense, but I'll give it to you. You earned that delightful. Yeah, so... So I'm on board with that. I mean, I'm going to keep going, despite my better judgment, but I'm also going to probably bail if things don't pull up a little bit. Um, But I hate doing that because even though I'm, like, not a Nielsen house and I don't get counted for any of this, it's just like, I'm not bailing because you cast a black lady to play Batwoman. Bailing because you didn't... You you were telling a bad story. Writing is bad. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not. I'm not bailing for this character or this casting. I'm bailing because you're not doing it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Well, what was your week in TV? Good question. No, it's uh, Queen Sugar. Um, nothing else I can't watch. Really, this week came close. What about you? I mean, Babylon Berlin. Okay, but... I'm looking forward to talking about this with you then. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, it would be Queen Sugar if I had seen it. I'm pretty yeah, sure. sure. Um, I liked the finale for Drag Race UK, but I didn't love it. Like, a lot of these, I was, like, solid. They're solid. Um, so, I mean, maybe Superman was? Mm-hmm. I didn't love it, though. I liked it. There was a lot of like this week. 
I'm just going with Babylon Birdland. So now we'll take a break, listen to a trailer, uh, which will hopefully be in English, and come back with our season spotlight on Babylon Berlin season one. Darian Rath from Columbia. I have been told that our mutual friend is doing business on the side. He's ambitious, dogged, a ferret. I'll deal with it. What happened? Can you hear me? Breathe in very deeply. In and out. And when I say now, you will open your eyes. This man may have been tortured. Should we investigate? It's not that simple. I have no idea who you were dealing with. You know what I'm looking for. Bloody. Bloody. That was the trailer for Babylon Berlin, uh, which is a Netflix series. It's a German series. Uh, that you can watch on Netflix. It is a noir set in 1929, or at least the first season is set in 1929, Berlin, uh, following a detective and a eventually aspiring assistant lady detective. Who's um, the best character on the show, just putting that out there right yeah, now. She's <laughs> great. Um, as they intersect with various schemes um, and plots happening in the city, um, trying to... Well, she's just trying to get yeah, by. Yeah, tell me exactly and what they're trying to do on this showcase. <laughs> he's trying to uh, get on his, he's trying to, to, he's been sent by his father, who's also a detective, to mm-hmm. to bust a um, a blackmail ring, basically, around yeah. uh, like uh, like uh, pornography and um, blackmail. So, okay. uh, so that's, that's the main, like, motivating factors for the two of them but then there's mm-hmm. also there's a bunch of going on with uh like bolsheviks and stalinists and trotskyists uh trotskyites i don't know the right term and there's also a nightclub and there's also just a lot of style um so uh i, I will be honest i watched a couple episodes of this really attent- and, uh, attentively and i watched uh, several episodes of this with the with the dubbing on, which I know is bad, but I did not have time to watch uh, to watch this the way it should be watched. So this is a show that I think really benefits from and demands attention. Yes, um, and so even like I was able to give it more attention than I was worried I would be able to, but not as much as it deserves. I think because I was having trouble find following some of the storylines and the character names and all that. And I feel like if I had just been able to shut the laptop and just sit and watch this, I would have fallen a lot more into the world and been able to keep up with a lot of things that were happening. And I I don't blame the show for that. I blame me for that because of how I was watching it. That could be incorrect, but that's my assessment of it. Um, But mostly it is complicated. It sounds like I like this a lot more than you did. Uh, But it also like, I, I think that the style, like, there's a style and substance conversation here, and I can't comment too much on the substance because I did not follow all of it. But 
I certainly enjoyed the journey along the way. And so I will look forward to watching more of this. Also, um, we should note that seasons one and two are supposed, like, not in Netflix US, that is the first season. So we watched yes. basically half. half of the first season without, like, when we like decided to do it, we're like, oh, well, we can watch the first season. At least we'll get, like, a sense of the show and, the, like, the first arc. And no, I found out after the fact <laughs> we got half the first yeah. arc. Um yeah. So yeah, I enjoyed this. Uh I was also led to believe this was a musical. It is not a musical. There are <laughs> there are some musical segments which are delightful. Uh, yes. But it is not a musical, so do not expect that going in. But do yeah. expect lots of fabulous fashions and ridiculousness from the time. What I've been talking too long. Uh I've been stalling because I'm surprised you didn't like this more. Uh what what did you think of Babylon Berlin? So I just to let you know, I do think that the end of season one Netflix version, episode eight, ends in a decent enough place for a break. Mm-hmm. So th- I think that makes sense. Okay. Like, it is a solid enough bottom point for um, Wrath, our uh, detective, um, that it makes kind of sense for there to be a break there. It does not do the rest of the show any favors. Ever. Um, so, yeah, I really like the style of this. Um, I think that the performers are all actually really, really good. Like, I really like uh, vocal Volker uh, Bruch, um, mm-hmm. and I apologize. I'm going to butcher a lot of these names, um, who plays Wrath. Um, he, I think, is really, really great. Um, he definitely has, like, a almost like a James Badge Dale energy to him that I really, really dig. Um, Both, it helps that he looks like Dale, but he just has a lot of Dale's, um, like, energy to him. And I think it works, serves him really, really well here, both as a sort of reluctant detective, but all in terms of what he's been tasked to do, along with his obvious trauma from World War I. He's got Um, a good face for noir. Yes, no, he's... Yeah, he's got a great face for noir, too. Um, but Liv Lisa Fries, who plays um, Charlotte, um, the aforementioned woman who wants to become like a homicide detective um, and want, is the best thing in the show. Like, I love her. I love Charlotte so much. Uh, she's great. It's just a firecracker of a character and it's a firecracker of a performance. I watched the first eight episodes. I made a very conscious effort to alternate back and forth between the subs and the dubs. After a conversation that we had with our listener, Vince, about dubs and everything, I actually wanted to make a really concentrated effort to watch the dub for this in a number of instances. So I normally would watch one episode subtitled, one episode dubbed, and went back and forth, depending. Um, And sometimes I went back and forth even within an episode. Um, and I actually do kind of like the dub for this. Um, I think it's I think better. It's pretty than good, dub. you know, compared. It to is other pretty dubs. good, and it yeah. it aligns better than the dub for Dark does with a lot of matching between the vocal performance mm-hmm. that we hear in English and the bodily performance done by the German actors. Um, so I think that in that regard, I think it's generally pretty successful, and I really liked it in places when I watched it. Um, it is a deeply, deeply confusing show, and I still <laughs> really paid attention to it. But I do also acknowledge that I think it is confusing by design. Um, I do think that there is definitely 
a sense of waiting for all of these threads to kind of spin together. Mm-hmm. Um, that our decision to only do eight episodes does not help any. Um, so the various um, layers of conspiracy that Wrath is pulling apart that he thinks are all just built into this blackmail conspiracy that he's exploring that he sees largely as separate from everything that's happening with um, the um, Russians and the various factionisms and their various pushes within Berlin, both through the trains and the weapons and the printers and all the sort of stuff that is going on and on across um, with the Soviet stuff. There are multiple things happening here, but it's a little hard, for, at least for me, to kind of... I was surprised that I was having issues keeping up with everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if that was just I wasn't paying close enough attention, which it probably was, or if it was just the fact that the story wasn't being told the right way. Um, so that that kind of kept me at arm's length a little bit, and that was kind of frustrating. Um, for me. Yeah. I mean, I hear you. I don't really uh-huh. have anything. It's one of those ones where it's like, yeah, it didn't bother me as much. <laughs> and it was pretty. Uh, which is not the most high-minded and thoughtful of critiques. But I, I, you know, I like that it's engaging with trauma. I like that it's engaging with this very specific and strange time and place, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. The Five Art Republic is a deeply underrepresented place in media. So it's a big deal that this was getting represented in the first place. Um but boy, 1929, things are gonna go yeah. super well. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well I mean and you know even just it was interesting because I've seen plenty of other period things that have like flappers and stuff and jazz yes. and all that. Um this is the first time I can remember seeing it and have having it just be silly and a little unhinged and like clearly these people are all dealing with a lot of shit yes and that's why they're doing it like like usually they go out of their way to try to make the the flapper like dances and stuff look cool Mm -hmm. and they do not do that here at all how dare you all the dancing in this looks very very cool but like they're not, and they're, how uncool they're not it is. Suave, right? They don't yeah. care, which is which. You're right. Does make it cool because yeah. uh, there's nothing cooler than not caring what anybody thinks. Um, but like, it's just like they're just sh- basically shaking out all their repressed emotions, and mm-hmm. um, and that just fits in a way that so little else has. When I think of other other representations of this time period and of this movement, you know, uh, it just like clicked something for me. I was like, okay, that completely makes sense. Like, yes, they're doing the, the Charleston, they're doing the different things, but it's not supposed to look cool. It's supposed to be fun and freeing. It's all about freedom. It's all about expression and about just not caring what anyone thinks. And obviously they do care what other people think they're trying to, you know, like, like there's that, um, the dance off between the two friends who are trying to get, you know, Lottie's attention. Uh, and, uh, so yeah, there's that, but, but still it's, it's not, it's not a dance move to look cool. It, sure. And and I really appreciate that. Cause I feel like there's this like a uh, reverence for the, 
the the time when you look at a period piece, um, whatever time that is. And that because that, that time is cool and that's why we're exploring it and that's why we're setting something there. Or that time is dark and gritty, or that time's and this just felt more Yeah, it was weird, guys. It was a weird time. Let's look at it. So I think all of that makes sense. And I do like some of what they do play with, um, at least from like an American audience perspective of the, say the Merlene uh, Dietrich stuff that they do with Svel- Svelana, um as the singer in the club, um, who's also just very obviously a spy of some kind for this movie. <laughs> um, and that kind of thing. So I think that there's good... There's a lot of like good stuff in there. And I think the exploration of everything at the club, uh, which is like, I can't remember the name of it, but Mocha it's okay. F- FD. Yes, thank you. Um, I think all works really, really well. And the ways in which the, that club becomes a the central point for a lot of the narrative uh, down to like the, the Arminian gangster who runs the place um, and his ultimate role so far anyway. Um, getting played out a little bit by the end of this first half of season one. I think it all generally, at least for the blackmail and the wrath stuff, comes together really, really, really nicely. Um, So we get to see all of that kind of stuff play out a bit. I do think that a lot of my inability to follow things may just be my lack of familiarity with German politics Mm -hmm. um, of this period, of everything with I mean, no one liked the Soviets <laughs> um, and no one wanted a bunch of um, communists complaining um, and doing May Day protests. Um, but also just probably tensions between like the Social Democrats as well as people who maybe wanted um, like the Kaiser back or however. And I think that's stuff that we're starting to get a sense of as this half of the season slash season wraps up. Um it just resulted in all of the that becoming a little opaque to me. Um, but I do still think that there's a lot of good there there. I just I just watched it poorly ultimately. Um and <laughs> well, maybe needed to read a short primer no, on you, but you shouldn't have to. You didn't watch it poorly. You watched it yeah. carefully and you watched it thoughtfully, and no, it just didn't work for you. It didn't do what it did. And it may not have do. worked for me, yeah. That's, that's fair. fine. No, I I you know we're switching sides here <laughs> duck season rabbit season but um no and that's fine i like i, I hear I, I hear what you're saying and i i absolutely see where you're coming from um yeah the it was you know it was it was more successful for me but i was also in the headspace very willing to be like who's that there now like it's like again the game of thrones who's that bearded guy <laughs> you know yeah i was playing that game real hard for like the first three episodes of like wait which Russian is this? I don't know. <laughs> well, and the one Russian keeps getting shot and is yeah, okay. I keep thinking he's dead and then he's not. Is he really dead this time, though? <laughs> That's the, the ineffable question. The unknowable question. Um, until until they're in the ground and it doesn't become a zombie show. Um, the, the scenes that really... Um, like I thought there was a lot of really good stuff with the characters and with the uh, like the the lead characters I should say those two characters I, I was really enjoying Greta as well when she shows up and I think that the the texture of those characters is what and my investment in those characters is what was 
get, getting me to like kind of glaze my eyes a little and go, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, that, uh, gold, yeah, through the scenes that I didn't follow um, and wasn't in, all that invested in because then the characters that I was more interested in would pop back up and I'd go like, yeah, what are you doing? Let's, let's and go no, to the next I think, thing. I think that it is one of the strengths of the show is that for me, if I wasn't able to follow much of like the political intrigue type stuff, I was able to follow the blackmail and the wrath investigation really kind of clearly. And that was always really compelling. So whenever it like turned to wrath, I would perk up a bit more. I would perk up even a little bit more when, um, even if uh, like um, Walter, Walter showed up, um, wrath's partner, who is just obviously the worst. <laughs> just terrible but also played really well by uh, peter kurth like it's a really good performance of that that type that archetype yeah um he's just terrible but it's a really good performance of that um type of character um that when all of the gets folded in and then when like little bits of the larger political intrigue kind of kept creeping in I was more excited, but so much of the political intrigue feels just too segregated from the Wrath investigation. That does feel like two different shows. Yeah, no, I can. Yeah, I hear you there. Um, I also uh, liked how sex positive the show is, uh, which oh, makes gosh, sense for the so, time period. Yeah, no, ridiculously. Yeah, yeah, it's uh like uh I like the like the sort of the reveal with Greta, uh, and uh, what's happened, like why she's not going to take up, um that new particular job and it's not uh what you were supposed to think it is it's something else uh i liked the uh i like the the reveal that garion is uh having some sort of a fling with the housekeeper or the like the the person who's renting out this it like and it's just so nonchalant um which mm-hmm. is delightful um i liked the the of course i've already mentioned a bunch but the fashion that green hat is fabulous I like the um, the the elevators that you just like step off of, which are apparently a thing. Just the constant, like that would be stressful for me, man. I'd be like, don't miss your floor. Um, I guess you'd get really good. We at don't it. know how to stop these yet. Yeah, um, there's there's all these little touches, and I mean, I don't, I'm nowhere near an expert in any of this stuff, but it seems to me like it, it seems like it was well captured, like the time period and the feel. You know, it feels more lived in doesn't feel like everything is from 1929 um and a set and a uh and a costuming level and then i mean i gotta talk about the music a little bit i think it's delightful mm-hmm. uh there's some very bad fake violin playing and some there's some not too bad violin playing uh and i think they really captured like the like that i the, for me the standout sequence these are sequences that that one performance i think episode like three or something at the club um yeah which is like the the like the mesmerism like it, it feels so caligari um and they really they like capture that that energy of that german expressionism and everything so so powerfully and uh you know the and i had so many questions watching like oh clearly this is a, like a thing and they all know the moves and they're like oh you know this yeah. one like kind of like but like the the combination between like a trance like energy and then also a, the, how performative it is for the participants, right? I thought was really neat and well well balanced. So like every time I would start to get more lost with 
what I'm supposed to be following plot wise and who's this there now, um, then they would do something else cool and I would be distracted by the shiny. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, so yeah, it just sounds like this is just much more of a me show than a you show. And that is absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on Babylon Berlin? I hate that this is something that I can actually speak to. Um, but their under their um, silent pornography is startlingly accurate um, <laughs> in a lot of its um, in a lot of its stuff. Um, like they bust up a vice raid at the beginning, um, mm-hmm. and I kid you not, I have seen uh, not German but French stag films that are basically doing that exact scene, <laughs> um, and so. I, I I was very pleased at how historically accurate their pornography was um, because I was just like, if you get this wrong, it kind of ruins everything, but they get it right. So it all works. Well, it just speaks to a level of like, deep, but, and yes, it's, it's a silly thing maybe, but it's not because it speaks you know, to the mentality of the team production team. And also it establishes the tone of the culture that that we're being introduced to and specifically exactly. of the police the vice squad and and the people who they're going to be interacting with in that world so yeah, yeah. i i absolutely yeah. agree yeah so I, I i a little bit of me hates that i was like yeah no that's exactly right oh i know that that's exactly right <laughs> thanks dr edwards for that body genres class um, which actually was one of the best classes I took in undergrad, but still, still. Um, the fact, yeah. Um, but no, so um, would you recommend that people who haven't watched Babylon Berlin, and I think that we're the only two who haven't. Yeah. Um, would you recommend people check this out? Yeah, I think absolutely. If you hear, this is a a German series filmed in 2017 and 2020. It is a neo-noir about 1929 Berlin with threads about these topics and you're like, Ooh, that sounds interesting. This is a show for you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And if you listen to that, you're like, uh, what? Then this is not a show for you. And that's okay. Yeah. I, I still, I do also kind of give it a recommendation, even if it wasn't totally working for me slash I wasn't completely following it, but I do think that there's still a lot of good there, there to uh, Mm -hmm. tap into. So I think it's definitely worth watching, even if just for, how scrumptious it looks mm-hmm. as a television show. Yeah. Well, goodness knows uh, I'm here for it. Like we watched how much high seas now high seas had the, the like yeah. soap opera element, right? Yes. Keeping us engaged. And this doesn't have that in the same way, but no, it was it's very much more fun. in a prestige mode. Yes. Yes. Um, so yeah, I certainly uh, enjoyed my time with it, even if I didn't follow all of it. Um, so we'll see how long it takes me to watch the rest, but I yeah. intend to. And on that note, we're going to wrap up our, our our season spotlight right there. A few show notes here at the end of the episode. You can find a post of this episode over at theteleverse.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. We have an M4A chaptered feed and MP3 unchaptered feed up in uh, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, I should say, and also over at, at Stitcher. Uh, we'd appreciate ratings and reviews either place. And we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are. At Noel RK. Thank you so much for a great discussion this week, Kate. Thank you, Noel. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse.